Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Advancing Acne Care, Applying Current Knowledge of Patient Needs and Emerging Evidence to Improve Outcomes, is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Galderma. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Andrew Alexis. What if tomorrow a patient comes in with scarring, hyperpigmentation, and lesions over their face, back, and shoulders? Would you take action? What if they also refer to having emotional and psychological burdens that impact their daily activities? Would you focus on improving their quality of life? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. What if I told you that I'm talking about acne and that we could improve the patient's physical and psychological well-being through an individualized and comprehensive treatment regimen? Welcome to our discussion on advancing acne care, applying current knowledge of patient needs and emerging evidence to improve outcomes. I'm Dr. Andrew Alexis, and I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Linda Steingold. Linda, welcome to the program. Thank you, Andrew. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you, Linda. It's, it, you know, it's often said that acne isn't just skin deep. We say this about a lot of skin diseases. So acne isn't just skin deep, meaning that it affects go, its effects go beyond the physical appearance of the skin. Could you walk us through the overall burden or impact of acne beyond just the skin itself? Andrew, that's such an important point. We know that acne has a tremendous impact on emotional health. We see that our acne patients have an increased rate of depression. We also know that society negatively judges our acne patients. If you have clear skin and you walk into a room, people notice your eyes, they notice your smile. If you have acne, the first thing people notice is your skin and you're being judged. You know, and this, this persists even as young adults. There was a study that looked at a thousand young adults who were just starting out their career who had acne. And it turns out about 90% of them said that the acne negatively affected their self-esteem. And 40% said that they felt that their acne was having a negative impact on their careers. Absolutely. And we see this day in, day out in our offices taking care of patients where patients can tell us about how their acne can dictate whether they say yes or no to a social commitment or what, or how well a professional engagement goes just based on whether they're having a flare or not. So it's almost like they're... Um, their, their daily existence is, is dictated by the uh, severity of their acne on that given day. And even social media, you know, you don't want your picture posted. You want to make sure you can edit it. Everybody wants to put their best face forward. So, Andrew, we know that these negative impacts really affect all of our acne patients. But what about those patients with skin of color? When you see a patient of color, do you assess their skin or their emotional impact any differently? That's a great question, Linda. And, you know, as you know, uh, a great deal of my patients uh, do have darker skin tones, skin of color. And one of the things that is most striking about acne patients with higher Fitzpatrick types or richly pigmented skin is that in addition to the papules, the pustules, the comedones, and other primary lesions of acne, there is also the concomitant hyperpigmented macules or post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, which in many cases can be just as disfiguring as the acne itself. In fact, many of my patients come in with the chief complaint of 
hyperpigmentation or what they might call scarring, but is clinically PIH, uh, and not really acknowledge the acne. Yeah, and so many of us underestimate the impact that has on our patients. You know, we think we're doing the best job because we've gotten the, the papules and the pustules and the nodules to flatten down. But when they're left with that dispigmentation, it, it, it's devastating for patients. Absolutely. Uh, and, and for that reason, I, I make it a point of managing both things at the same time. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that further. For those just joining us, this is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Andrew Alexis, and I'm here today with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Linda Steingold. We're discussing the importance of earlier and more aggressive treatment of acne, particularly in patients of color. So, Linda, you know, it's often said with real estate, it's the old cliche, location, location, location. And in many respects, uh, this applies to acne. For example, when a patient presents with acne on their face, they may also have acne elsewhere, their shoulders, their chest, their back. So how do you approach the assessment of acne beyond the face, especially if the patient doesn't uh, reveal that they have acne beyond, beyond their face? You know, that's such an important issue because we know up to about 60% or so of our acne sufferers actually have truncal acne as well. And, and only a minority just have, have uh, truncal acne. So it's really important to ask the patient to show you their chest, their shoulders and back because about 79% of patients who have truncal acne actually have it in multiple areas. And, you know, whether they tell you about it or not, they certainly expect that you're going to know about it and they expect that you're going to treat it. And don't underestimate the negative impact of truncal acne. It can be devastating. You know, imagine a young woman shopping for a wedding dress. You know, if you have acne on your chest and back, you want to have something that's going to cover and that can be a problem. And even the, the impact of having inflammatory acne on the chest and back of, of an athlete. I have one patient who would bleed through his soccer clothing and every time somebody would touch him or push him, he would be in pain. So it's really an important issue. And when it comes to treating truncal acne, you know, we really rely on evidence-based medicine. And unfortunately, we don't have a ton of great studies that have really well evaluated truncal acne. Exactly. And, you know, as a general rule, I, I, whether a patient presents uh, with uh, just the concern on their face, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask them, do you have any acne on your chest, your shoulders, your back, uh, just to open the floor? And, and, and so often they do, and they seem to appreciate being asked, and then, then we can launch into that exam. And sometimes they don't even know they have it. They'll say, no, I'm fine. And you lift yeah. up their shirt, and there it is, you know, all over their back. So I think exactly. it's great even just to take a peek. So, you know, Andrew, one of the sequelae that we worry about most in our acne patients is the, the risk of scarring. So what are your thoughts on scarring? Are all scars equal? You know, when it comes to um, the sequelae of acne, and we talked about hyperpigmentation, but beyond hyperpigmentation, there's permanent scarring in the form of atrophic scars for the most part, but even hypertrophic scars and keloids, especially when it comes to truncal acne, uh, which we see a higher risk of keloids and hypertrophic scars in our um, patients with skin of color. Um, so when it comes to managing um, acne scars, we have uh, some scars that can even respond to topical therapies. It's been shown using uh, a retinoid formulation uh, that uh, uh, scars can, can be improved. Uh, but in many cases, the scarring is deeper and uh, more severe, uh, requiring procedural therapies and, become, and this can become more difficult to manage. 
Another point, actually, uh, uh, Linda, is that even mild acne uh, can result in scarring. You know, historically, we would think scarring is the result of nodulocystic acne, but even, even mild to moderate acne, just inflammatory papules and pustules can evolve into, into scars. Yeah, and that's such an interesting concept. And it's something that, you know, our understanding of scarring has evolved so much. You know, we used to think that people who came in with papules and pustules, you know, it's just superficial. You don't have to worry about it. But we understand that that is just not true. And and the papule seems to be the culprit, you know, however long that papule lasts, if it lasts a longer period of time. And as you mentioned, even when the papule seems to resolve and we see the sequelae, the pink spots, the brown spots, those can still develop into atrophic scars. So we're understanding a lot more about how to get this under control. Exactly. Well said. Now, Linda, there are now several topical retinoids that we can use. We have a range of options, which is great. What are the main differences and how do you know which is the most appropriate for a particular patient? Yeah, and as you mentioned, Andrew, when you were talking about scarring, um, topical retinoids really are the cornerstone of treatment uh, for active acne and potentially for maintenance therapy and even for some atrophic scars. Um, We know that they work well on comedones, but they're also very good anti-inflammatory drugs. So they work on the papules and the pustules as well. They they work through receptors called the retinoic acid receptors or the RAR receptors. And we know there are different types. There's alpha, beta, and gamma. And when we look at our topical retinoids, we've seen that they've evolved over the course of time. We started out with tretinoin, which was more nonspecific. It targeted all of those receptors. And then we had adapalene and and tazeratine, which were a little more specific. And now we have triferritine, which is really a targeted retinoid. It's targeted to the RER gamma receptor, which is the predominant receptor in the skin. It also, because it's so targeted, we see this in a very low concentration. And you might say, who cares about the concentration? But if you want to use a retinoid on a large body surface area, it's nice to have a low concentration that has very, very low systemic levels, especially if we want to use it on large body surface areas. And I mentioned before that we really value evidence-based medicine. What was interesting about the triferritine studies were that we looked at patients who had facial acne, but for the first time, we really deeply evaluated those patients who had truncal acne as well. And if you ask a lot of, you know, dermatologists who've been around a while, can you use a retinoid on the trunk? A lot of them would say, you know what? No. First of all, it probably doesn't work on the trunk and probably it's too irritating. And what we learned from the triferritine studies were that, first of all, the efficacy on the trunk was equal to or even potentially better than on the face. And we also found the tolerability, same thing, equal to or potentially even a little bit better than what we've seen on the face. So our understanding has actually um, evolved with time as we have these studies that are actually asking and answering these important questions. So, Andrew, one more thing about this information is that it's so new, it hasn't even made it into the recent acne treatment guidelines. Hopefully, we'll get it into the next version. So well said. I mean, uh, historically, like you pointed out, retinoids have been pigeonholed as as medications for comedones, but there's so much more beyond treating uh, comedones that retinoids can do, including inflammatory lesions and lesions off of the face, such as the chest and back, as you pointed out. 
So, Andrew, I want to go back to one of these really kind of important questions that has such an impact on our patient, and that is the presence and the risk of the post-inflammatory dispigmentation, the hyperpigmentation. We call it post-inflammatory, but it's probably not post-inflammatory. There's probably still some inflammation there, but this has a tremendous impact. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to, to dispigmentation in your patients? Yeah, thank you, Linda. When, when it comes to managing patients who have post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or simply at risk for post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, as is the case in patients with skin of color, I think it's it's extremely important to manage both issues concurrently. How do we do that? Well, PIH can come from, um, from one or two scenarios. It could either be a sequela of the acne itself, but it could also be induced by uh, topical or other therapies that the patient may do themselves or might even be prescribed by, by, by a healthcare provider. So we're always striking this uh, delicate balance between maximizing the efficacy, but doing so while, keeping, uh, while avoiding irritation. We do not want to maximize efficacy at the expense of tolerability because irritation in turn can cause more PIH. Uh, one great way to tackle both problems head on, the acne and the PIH, is using a topical retinoid. Topical retinoids have been shown uh, for, for decades now uh, to be able to improve post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation associated with acne. So it becomes increasingly important to use retinoids as the foundation of uh, acne treatment, especially when considering uh, the sequela of PIH. That makes a lot of sense. You know, that way it's kind of a win-win. Get the active acne under control and also work on, on improving the dispigmentation. Yes, indeed. Now, this has certainly been a fascinating conversation. But before we wrap up, Linda, can you share one take-home message with our audience? Sure. I'm going to give you like one and a half. I'd say most importantly, start early, be aggressive with acne therapy, and continue treating until all the lesions have resolved and even the discoloration, the pink spots, the red spots, the brown spots, and don't forget to look at the trunk for truncal acne. Great points. I'll just add to that my own take-home message, and that's not to underestimate the, the long-term sequelae of, of acne which speaks to the importance of early and aggressive uh, treatment while maintaining tolerability to avoid further sequelae. So I think that with the options that we have today, we're able to succeed in getting our patients clear from an acne standpoint, but also minimizing the risk of sequelae and overall improving their quality of life. Now, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today, but uh, I want to thank our audience for listening in and thank Dr. Linda Steingold for sharing her valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today, Linda. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Galderma. To receive your free CME credit, or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash prova. Thank you for listening.